Good evening, everyone. I'm Pastor Mark, and this is E3, and we are going through a series that uh, John Bickley and I uh, put together uh, over the past couple of years, and we put it into a book called The Six Symbols of the Gospel. What we wanted to do was give people a concise kind of uh, overview of the story of God and the story of the good news as told in Scripture. And we've done that with, obviously, six symbols. The first one uh, for us represented the story of Israel uh, uh, by the Star of David. And uh, the next symbol that we talked about was the life of Christ and how the story of Israel gives us the context to understand the life of Christ. And we use the, the ancient symbol for Christ, uh, the, the Cairo, which looks like an X over a P. And then the following week, we talked about the atonement and, and what actually happened on the cross and why that price was uh, such a heavy price that, that God paid uh, for restore relationship with us. Then uh, John actually taught about the resurrection and how the res- resurrection changed everything, that the, that the resurrection proved uh, that the atonement was real and that the Messiah, that Jesus was, and what he taught was real. And then uh, last week I talked about the fish, which is the ancient symbol for the church. And I talked about uh, how we're a peloton of faith, and you know we come we come together, and and uh, we are on a mission. And this evening we're going to conclude just talking about the symbols, and we got something special planned for next week. But uh, with this uh, new symbol of infinite love. And infinite love is just simply uh, two readily uh, recognizable symbols, the heart uh, for love that we use, and then the scientific sign for infinity. And this idea of infinite love is truly who God is, that uh, the Bible tells us that God is love, and all of us who are in God are, are in love are in God. And this idea that that the expansion of what we truly know about God and, and heaven is this idea of infinite love. Before we jump in uh, this evening, I've been sharing a quote with you each and every week, and uh, the quote this week is from a guy named Dieter Uchtdorf, and uh, love Dieter Uchtdorf, right? He's one of my favorites. Uh, actually, uh, I disagree with him, actually, on, on quite a uh, lot of things, but I thought that this one particular quote is uh, really powerful. This is what he said. Though we are, un- in- excuse me, though we are incomplete, God loves us completely. Though we are imperfect, God loves us perfectly. Though we may feel lost and without compass, God's love encompasses us completely. You guys pray with me? God, I just, I pray that we can leave this place with just a clear view of what heaven is and what heaven is not. That we can cut through the myth and the, and the, just kind of uh, cultural 
descriptions of, of, of heaven and cultural ideas of fluffy, fluffy clouds and things like that, and we can actually understand truly what heaven is. What, is. what are we hopeful for? What is our great expectation? God, I just pray that I can get out of the way and be able just to bring forth your word and, and, and your truth in this matter because it's so important. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So, I'm asked a question all the time as a pastor, and I'm sure that you guys are asked this question too as Christians, and, and uh, uh, secular humanists usually think this is the great aha question or a uh, gotcha question uh, of a Christian, and that is the question, is Jesus the only way? And uh, my standard response to that is, if you could get there any other way, you wouldn't want to go. And Usually people who uh, have kind of this uh, Disneyland, cosmic Disneyland view of, of heaven or believe that I believe that heaven is a cosmic Disneyland, they, they, they say, what? That, that, that doesn't make any sense. You know, how, how could you say that? And this is what, what I, I tell them, that heaven isn't heaven because of pearly gates or, or golden roads or, or any of these things. Heaven is heaven because we will be in the unfettered presence of God. We will be in the unfettered presence of Jesus. And today or this evening, we're going we're gonna to kind of expand on that thought. And, and what does it mean to have uh, a confident hope, not in a cosmic Disneyland, but a confident hope that we will get back to the ideal state of, uh, of being in the unfettered presence of our Creator. In Revelation chapter 21 and verse 3, the Apostle uh, John proclaimed this. He said, look, God's home is now among His people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. And this is to say that what makes heaven, heaven is God among his people. Without God in the midst that heaven uh, uh, is not, is not, uh, you know, this fluffy cloud place where there's no tears and no, or, or, or all this kind of stuff that God is the reason that all those things are true. And the reality is that God is as much as as big as we can think of God, that Jesus also, the Bible teaches us that Jesus is God. And if you don't like Jesus, you're not going to like God because they're one in the same People and I think one of the the, the greatest scriptures that kind of uh, encapsulates this idea is found in Colossians and Paul writes uh, in Colossians chapter one, starting in verse fifteen, says this: Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things that we can see and the things we can't see. 
such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through Him and for Him. He existed before anything else, and He holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is His body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So He is first in everything. And I think this next verse is a mind blower if you allow it to really kind of sink in. And I had a, I had a, a friend in seminary uh, talk, uh, turn to me once and he said, you have a really uh, high Christology. And that's seminary speak of, of, I think, a lot of Jesus, right? And I'm like, yeah, because Jesus is everything to me and our faith, and we had a really great conversation. But check about check this out. For God in all His fullness was pleased to live in Christ, and through Him God reconciled everything to Himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. Jesus is the only way to heaven because heaven is not a destination. We talked about that last week. That heaven is heaven because Jesus is there. And you cannot force somebody into a relationship. We have words for that in our, in our language, in our culture, when somebody forces themselves uh, upon you. And that can be just a minor uh, kind of irritant to something really, really scary, right? Uh, to be an irritant, you know, I mean, probably the most irritating thing is uh, somebody that you don't really know who pokes you on Facebook. Any Facebook pokers here? Don't, stop it. As your pastor, stop it. You know, that... that, that Poking is unacceptable, and, and especially somebody you don't know. You know, who does that? I can tell you, other, lots of people do it. I get poked, and I'm like, who, who are you? Why are you poking me? So, so you got, you know, that can be just irritating, right? That you're trying to, you're, you know, that, that there's uh, kind of this, you know, just kind of weird, like, you know what, relationally, you know, we're not at that place, and nor shall we ever be, you know? And then there's just the real scary stuff, right? I mean, as a pastor of a church that has a lot of 20-somethings, I've seen some just, you know, horrible, horrible behavior and, and scary stuff. And I mean, honestly, there's been times that, you know, I have wanted to get rid of some people because they're just uh, so scary, right? And you know what I'm talking about. I mean, culturally, you know, so this, this idea of forced relationship can be an irritant, but can be also really scary and, and really horrible uh, experience. And, but Jesus is not a stalker. Jesus, Jesus doesn't poke you on Facebook. He, he you know, he definitely doesn't, uh, uh, stalk you in a sense and force himself upon you and, and, and his beliefs, that there was an open invitation. And we talked a lot about this last week, that, that God is a God of invitation. God is a, inviting us to the banquet to, to be invited into, back into a restored relationship with him. 
Revelation um, chapter 3, we have this imagery of Jesus that I think is so beautiful when Jesus declares, look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and share a meal together as friends. And here the truth about Jesus' nature is revealed, that he desires to be in relationship with you. He desires for you to open the door. He desires for you to experience his glory without any of the brokenness, without any of the sin, without any of the junk, that he wants us to be able to join with all of creation in heaven and join in the worship gathering. And A.W. Tozer said this about Christians who are bored and turned off by worship. He says, I can safely say on the authority of all that is revealed in the Word of God that any man or woman on this earth who is bored and turned off by worship is not ready for heaven. Why did Tozer say that? He said that because, again, heaven is a worship gathering. Heaven is being in the uh, unbuffered presence of God of Jesus and being in perfect harmony with all of creation and, and with the people you love and the, and, the, and the people that even in this earth that, that you didn't get along with, that you will have, be restored and made right with them because all of our brokenness, all of our prejudice, all of our, our hurt, all of our, our control mechanisms, all of our coping mechanisms will be laid to rest and we will be back as God originally intended without any pain and without any hurt and without any brokenness and, and the restoration of not only you and God, but you and his creation. Probably the best question uh, uh, that will kind of help you understand if you have a biblical view of heaven was asked by John Piper. In fact, I believe that this question is so important that if John Piper, and I don't know if you know who he is, but he's written a lot, he's spoken a lot, and, and things like that. But if he had never written another word or ever wrote a word before this, if, if he had never spoke anywhere or gave a compelling you know, sermon or anything like that, if, if, if his whole ministry comprised of coming up with this one question, I believe that he would have had a full ministry. And this is the question. The critical question for our generation and for every generation is this. If you could have heaven with no sickness... And with all the friends that you have ever had on earth, all the food you have ever liked, and all the leisure activities you have ever enjoyed, and all the natural beauties you've ever saw, all the physical pleasures you've ever tasted, and no human conflict or any natural disasters, could you be satisfied with heaven if Christ was not there? I love this question. I love this one because it is an epic run-on sentence. 
The other reason that I love is your, your answer. Your answer reveals if you're ready for heaven or if you even want to go to heaven. I mean, if you could have everything that you've ever wanted or think you want, but Jesus wasn't there, would you still want to go? I was trying to think about like an earthly example of this, and this is what, what I came up with. Imagine that I went home this evening and I uh, uh, told my family, you know what, uh, you know, uh, a, nice, a nice prince in Nigeria uh, gave me, you know, $50 million, right? Have you got those emails and stuff, you know, that he wants me to hide some money for him, but I actually got the check. And you know what, what I'm going to do, I am going to go uh, uh, to Palos Verdes, California. Anybody you, been there? Okay, you've all seen it. This Whenever, like, uh, in a movie that, that they want to show, like, the filthy rich people and everything, they like to take their helicopter, and Palos Verde's on, on a cliff that overlooks the Pacific Ocean, and it's up on a hill, obviously, and it's on a, on a cliff, and it, and it looks over, and, it, and you can see Catalina Island and these massive mansions, are on are on these cliffs and the, and usually how they film it is with a helicopter and they come up the cliff and you can you can see these beautiful mansions and they're absolutely amazing. So imagine I told my family, look, I'm going to go to Palos Verdes and and I'm going to I'm going to build one of these mansions for you. It, it is, I'm going to be gone for a little while, but it's going to be incredible. And this is what I want you to do. Tell me what you want. What do you want? I, you can have anything you want in this mansion. And I can imagine, you know, uh, my wife might say, well, let's have a rock climbing wall. Done. We'll do that. You know, my, my daughter would probably want like a full, um, a full uh, chef, professional chef kind of kitchen. She likes to cook and things like that. Uh, my son would probably want a Slurpee machine or, or, or something like that. And, and I'm like, perfect, anything you want, you know, you can, you can have it. And it's good. I got, I got the list. So I went to Palos Verdes and I built this amazing mansion overlooking some of the most, one of the most beautiful uh, scenes in the world in one of the, you know, nicest places in the world. And, and every detail and everything is, is put to their comfort. And when it was all done, I send them a text with a Google map saying, here it is, hope you enjoy it, hope you have a good life. Would they enjoy it? Is that what they want? Now, I would hope that, that they would say, wait a second, all that stuff is cool. That's nice, but we... But our true desire is to experience life with you. And we'd rather live in Tallahassee or under a bridge in Sopchoppy in order to, to have that life with you. That, the, the stuff is secondary. And I think one thing that has happened in the presentation of the gospel and definitely in the presentation of of, um, of heaven is 
We've put the stuff before the relationship. And I can tell you, when you ever, you in, in relationships, if you put the stuff before the relationship, you are going to be empty. And the reality is, if I flip that around and you gave me the choice, Mark, you can have this mansion with everything, whatever you, you know, your crazy mind could think of, but you have to leave your family or you can live under a bridge and sop choppy with them. I, it wouldn't even be a, a thought. Of course, I'm going to be with my family. We will be together because that is what life is to me. Because stuff without relationship is nothing. It's like ash in your mouth. And that is why, why I think that John Piper's question is so important. If you could have all of these things, but Jesus would not be there, would you still want to go? Because that is what heaven is. Heaven is not this stuff place, this cosmic Disneyland. It is all those wonderful things, but it is also primarily and centrally that God living with His people in the unfettered presence of His people. Paul writes in Colossians in chapter 2, he, he talks about this idea of, of, of kind of uh, our lives and, and our experience with Christianity, and he says that, that all of this stuff is only a shadow of the reality that is yet to come, and Jesus Christ is that reality. That Jesus Christ is that reality. And I think the idea of infinite love and the idea that, that we think we may have some comprehension of what infinite love really will be like is, is like a shadow to us. When I was a little kid, um, my mom used to walk, and, and I liked to, uh, when she was casting a shadow, I would try to walk in her shadow and, and kind of mirror her steps. Anybody ever kind of do that with their parents? Okay, I'm a weird kid. Okay. But, um, and the, imagine this. The most purest love that you've ever experienced, that that is as different to God's infinite love than that shadow is from my mom. That shadow may resemble her in some way, but that shadow is two-dimensional. My, my mom is... Uh, definitely not two-dimensional. She, she is a complex, beautiful human being. And uh, so, uh, it, it, is, it, is, it is that idea that we don't know, and that's one of the beautiful things. You know, the people, you know, if, you know, tell me and explain to me all of these things of spirituality. And, and you know what, as I've gotten older and, and studied the Bible more and more, I have learned to appreciate the mysteries of God even more and more and the great anticipation of, of um, being 
in God's presence and actually experiencing a pure and whole love. And we're invited into this perfect love. We are invited into this infinite love. Peter in 1 Peter says this, he says, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by His great mercy that we have been born again. Because God raised Jesus from the dead, now we live with great expectation, and we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled beyond the reach of change and decay. And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. And I love this idea of being adopted into God's family and that we will be able to come and collect our inheritance someday. The writer of Hebrews puts it this way in, in chapter 10, that that we will, uh, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. And that imagery is from ancient antiquity, where a subject, when they entered the throne room, they would have their head down. And when they entered, if the king accepted them, he would take his hand and he would lift up their head. And this is the idea that we don't need to go in because, you know what, by Christ dying on the cross and rising again and conquering death, that, and we accepting that, that invitation to restored relationship with God and people, that that is when our heads are lifted and that we are adopted into the family and no longer do we come as servants or as subjects, but we come as sons and daughters, princes and princesses of the King Most High. And I believe that song just really captures that tension, that, that, uh, that imagery of, wow, how do we interact with a living God? And Paul writes in Romans in this beautiful kind of uh, imagery that he says that God hasn't given us a, a, a spirit of fear, of, of fearful slaves. Instead, we receive, when we receive God's spirit, when we, he adopted us as his own children, and now we call him Abba, Father. And I know a lot of theologians have different ideas and, uh, and ideas of this, but I think they would all agree that this, this word Abba, is, is this very intimate word. This is a word that, that portrays a intimacy and a level of knowing one another. This is, this is kind of the, the name that you would call, you know, uh, your loved one, and, and maybe it's such a precious name that this is the name that you, you wouldn't use in public because it's so intimate that you only use it with one another. A couple of years ago, I was sitting on a, a panel at Village Square, and I was sitting on the panel with like a Baptist and like a Methodist and a secular humanist, which uh, is an atheist, and, and 
uh, somebody of the Jewish faith and, and things like that. And we were talking about different faith and, and some political issues and, and things like that. And in the closing statements, we all kind of just kind of gave our closing statements. And then the secular humanist went, uh, uh, finished after me. And he said, he said, you know what? Christianity is a religion of fear. That that Christianity tries to scare people into being good and try to scare them into heaven by saying, you know, telling them about scary monsters and if they will be tortured if if they don't, you know, uh, give their life to this religion. And I I walked up to him after the uh, after the uh, session and after people had spoken to him and things like that, and I told him I said, hey, I. I actually have a different uh, uh, understanding of heaven, uh, what I believe is a biblical view of heaven. Would you like to hear it? And uh, he said no, and uh, uh, which which is fine. But really, this uh, I, I assume you want to hear it because you're here. So uh, uh, basically, this is this is the understanding that that. Uh, the ideal state as, as God has envisioned creation is creation, humanity, and Him in perfect unity. And we see that in the Garden of Eden, in, in that picture. And I heard a pastor one time say, and, and I reference it in the, in the video, that a lot of people think the gospel is directions from point A to point B from sinner to destination happiness. And I don't, I don't believe that the, the gospel is, is a line. And uh, this pastor went on and uh, he kind of uh, got on to uh, Zimba from The Lion King. You know, I, Simba, what's his name? Whatever. You know, you know what I'm talking about. You don't come here because you want correct pronunciation. I know that. Uh, so, and, and he was like talking about like the circle of life, and he's all like, "Life is not a circle; it's a point A to point B, and kind of thing." And I, I, I would have to respectfully disagree. I believe there is a circle of life, and I believe that the gospel is a circle, because in the beginning, we see the ideal state as the Garden of Eden, but we see the, the ideal state not only as the backdrop of the garden, but of the unfettered presence of God and uh, personal rela- uh, uh, human uh, relational purity and uh, interaction with creation. And the whole story of God from the story of Israel, the life of Christ, to the atonement, to... Um, the resurrection and what we're experiencing in the church and our confident hope is that that is all coming back around. But in Revelation uh, 21, we're told that, you know what? The ideal state is no longer the backdrop of a garden, but is a city, a new Jerusalem. And what makes this city perfect, the new ideal state, is that God lives in that city amongst amongst His people. and But right now, we are in this state of anticipation. Paul writes in Philippians chapter 3, he says, but we are citizens of heaven where 
the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we are eagerly waiting for His return as our Savior. And I believe Paul really encapsulates this in Romans chapter 8, where he says, and we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory, we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We to wait with eager hope for the day that God will give us our full rights as adopted children, including the new bodies that He promised. And at that point, that is when we, we walk in to the throne room with our full rights as adopted women and men, princesses and princesses, prince, princes, and our heads have been lifted up because we have been invited. And no longer are we slaves or broken, but we have been restored back into the ideal state of having a right relationship with God and a right relationship with people and harmony in His creation. You guys, thank you.